All right. Thanks for joining me, everyone. Charles Moskowitz. Uh, Dovid is, is with me. Uh, he's back again uh, after a little interruption there. And uh, we, we are engaging in an ongoing series of conversations about, um, about uh, I think I just lost you, oh, there you are, about Judaism and about uh, the last time you were here, Dovid, we talked about uh, the Talmud, what's in it, what's not in it. We talked a little bit about Jew, the Jews and how we view Jesus. And uh, in the course of the conversation, it came up, uh, we, we talked about Shabtai's V and what I would argue is his heretical movement and Zionism, which um, you had a great deal to say about. So why don't we pick up the thread on that? Um, I would again argue that uh, the Shabtai's V, who was a false messiah and who was discredited when he was converted to Islam, at the point of a sword uh, at the order of the Sultan in 1666 was uh, introduced a poison into the veins of Judaism, one that has metastasized ever since, one that we're dealing with to this day, one that gave birth to some very bad movements, one that colluded with some very bad movements on the Christian side, such as the Illuminati and the Jacobins, and one that was responsible for a lot of the um, kind of the move away from belief in God and the Torah that we now have permeating our culture, our economy, and our way of life. Um, and one of the sources on that for me is the work of Rabbi Marvin Antelman, who wrote a book called To Eliminate, the late Rabbi Marvin Antelman, To Eliminate the Opiate Volumes 1 and 2. I'm just going to hold that up briefly to the camera here. Um, I've seen him, in, he's a couple of interviews, I believe, on YouTube as well. He's passed away about a year ago. Um, and uh, he does a great deal to expose the, the evil nature of, of Zvi and his following. Now, his thesis, and I've read it out elsewhere as well, is that Zvi took uh, to heart the second understanding of what it is to usher in the messianic age. The conventional understanding, the Talmudic understanding, is that the Jewish people, the children of Israel, and all of mankind will have reached a level of spirituality, a level of knowing God, a level of observance of the moral and ethical precepts of the Torah, that the world would be ready to really know God and the messianic age will commence, however that happens. The other version is that man will have, have descended so low in terms of rejecting the Torah, rejecting the moral and ethical precepts, rejecting God, that that would bring in the Messiah as a savior to try to pull man out. And Shabtai from according to Rabbi Antelman and others, represented his ministry was the latter. He tried to subvert the Torah. He tried to uproot the Torah by desecrating it in every way he could. He was excommunicated by his own synagogue in Smyrna. Uh, he was a Greek-Turkish Jew uh, because he desecrated the Torah literally at the Bema. What he did, I don't know. I don't know. Did he eat a ham sandwich? Who knows? Whatever he did, he publicly denounced the Torah and did something that was blasphemous, and he was excommunicated for that. He then proceeded to engage in every kind of 
conventional immorality, orgies, sexual libertinism, whatever it is. And he traveled around like a rock star throughout Turkey, gathering a big following till he made his way to Israel, uh, where he was anointed by Nathan of Gaza. Again, we talked about how this is proof that there was a Jewish community in Israel at that time and has been in every generation. Eventually makes his way up to Constantinople where he meets the Sultan. The Sultan says, "You, I'm either gonna shoot an arrow through you, which proves you're the Messiah, or you have to convert to Islam, which he converted. That led to his disillusionment among Jews all over the world, all over Europe, where he had, had developed a pretty big following. I don't think that the Jews of Europe really understood what he was about or the, the evil nature of his ministry. My evidence of that is Gluckel of Hamelin, who wrote a very famous memoir at the time and who did follow Shabtai's V briefly, but who said, you know, he turned out to be a false messiah and there was a great disillusionment. But his movement went underground. It continued in the in the uh, 16th century. Uh, a follower named Jacob Frank picked up the cudgels and became, uh, again, a one of these earthly messiahs, cla claimants who subverted the Torah and who glorified in, in, in this kind of activity as a way to bring about a messianic age. And that that movement has continued to infect Judaism like a, like a virus. Um, they found common cause with like-minded Christian movements like the Illuminati, like Satanism, like Rosicrucianism and others. And that uh, this movement has come to really define our times uh, in a negative way. My goal as a as a YouTube guy here doing my little little tiny show, and as a Jew, is to try to identify and expose this as a way of writing the ship of state. And again, if I were Catholic, I would be trying to do the same thing for the Catholic Church, you know, in terms of exposing corruption within it as a way to bring it back to the ministry of Jesus. As a Jew, I think that this is the main um, contaminant that, that infects us today. What say you, David? Yeah, I would definitely have a more sympathetic take. And even if I were to grant everything that you said is true, um, I would say, you know, Zed Lumo said that the scales are balanced and that you're leaving out the, the positive side. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I don't think Shabbatai Tzvi was known for introducing anything new. He was more spreading uh, ideas, Kabbalistic ideas that always existed, and possibly the you know the new ideas of the Arizal and the new creation of Smicha that uh, had been in Spas a few generations that Nelson Megaza had been a, a part of. And uh, one thing I would push back is, as far as I know, I'd read the whole Gershon Schoen book, who had done extensive research when I was in uh, younger. So I don't actually own that book because I'd read that when I was younger and then didn't repurchase it. Uh, but most sources hold that Shabbatai Tzvi was relatively within, you know, so to say, the Dalit Amos of Halakha. He observed Jewish law. He was known for being relatively a renunciate to fast often, uh, was known for being very nice pray, pray, prayer leader, having a nice voice. So uh, you know, it wasn't like he was a rock star that, that he... Uh, had had this, uh, you know, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochoi, obviously, last week was Log Myomer. He spent 12 years in the cave, and then he comes out of the cave, and he sees simple people that aren't dedicated to God, and says he burnt them up, and God said, did you come here to destroy my world? And then he goes back into the cave for one year, 
And then when he comes out, he's able to uh, kind of see the merit in simple people and, and even sinners. And so Shabbatite speak of uh, you know, the injection of the big tent Judaism that we'll call Zionism, where you always had Jews who wanted to return to Israel and fulfill the Torah. You didn't really have this mass movement of let's take all the Jews, whether they're sinners or not, and return them to Israel. And let's make these calculations like the Kabbalah, people learn Tanya, Chabad, uh, Lubavitch uh, books, where you talk about, well, yeah, a person sins, obviously, but there's some greater calculation of a whole totality of the person, of the good and the bad that they do. And although people might have a lot of sin to them, they also have a lot of good to them. And uh, Judaism, prior to Shabbatai Tzvi, um, had basically rejected those people, where it didn't matter um, if a person did a lot of good, if they weren't completely in the bounds of observing the Jewish law, the halacha, they were basically a bad Jew. And, uh, you know, you, the indulgence kind of a parallel to, uh, you know, Martin Luther and the indulgences. So it's like Shabbatai Tzvi is kind of saying, well, well, there's, you know, indulgences. There's uh, people could do for the greater cause of Judaism, for the greater benefit of the people. And in that sense, he created these network of uh, sinners, of people who uh, didn't keep the halakha properly, who possibly, you know, did horrible sins and sexual immorality and adultery and, uh, you know, ho horrible things relatively that you know, possibly would have them condemned to hell. But at the same time, they donated to Israel. They were part of the cause. They helped create these networks to strengthen greater Judaism and, uh, you know, look at the cause of let's resettle Jerusalem. You know, Shabbatai Tzvi went to Jerusalem. He convinced wealthy people who were maybe sinners, weren't great people, that they should donate money to reestablish uh, Jerusalem, something that none of the sages before him were really able of doing, what was getting a broad interest of Jews all across Europe and all across the world to take an interest of what's happening in Jerusalem. Obviously, the sages, their eyes were always upon Jerusalem, but your average Jew, and especially your, you know, your court Jews, your bankers, they didn't have any interest in Jerusalem. They were interested in where they were at because, you know, they were sinners. They didn't observe Jewish law properly. They had no part in that. So you have this Shabbatite speed using these Kabbalistic concept of, um, I'm going to make this calculation. And even though you're pretty blatantly a sinner and doing all these horrible things, that he says, yeah, but you have these redeeming qualities that um, might outweigh the sins and might make you, you know, you know, God forbid, even superior to the sages, because look at the sages. What have they done for Jerusalem? What have they done for the average Jew? And so I would add that uh, your know, positive element to it that, uh, you know, he injects the poison, but at the same time, he injects the cure. Well, well, first of all, I mean, David, we're all sinners. I mean, every generation we struggle with sin. I mean, that goes back to the golden calf. That's nothing new. But the Shabtais V glorified sin. I mean, the difference is that, you know, we, we I don't try know if you have to, evidence of that. I mean, according well, my to evidence again is is Rabbi Anselman's book and other books, and de Gershom Sholem's book as well. And the the idea is this that that uh, you know the reason we have Yom Kippur is so we atone for our sins. I mean, we you know, sin is part of life, but we don't and we strive to observe halacha, but Nobody observes it perfectly. That's impossible. Only God does. And that there are disagreements. You could take a look at the works of Rashi, who preceded um, Shabtai Zvi by many centuries, 
and, and other Jewish sages, the uh, the um, you know the the various gones and and um, uh, other rabbis, that that we try imperfectly because we're imperfect beings. We're not God. We're created in the image of God. There's no such thing as perfection, but uh, but that we look to the moral and ethical precepts of the Torah as an ideal and by which we measure our imperfect lives. The difference here is that the Shabtai's V glorified overthrowing the Torah. According to my sources, he glorified the that there was a virtue in subverting the Torah because it could not be perfectly followed. And that's antithetical to the, uh, the Jewish understanding. But you do mention something that's interesting as well, and that is that he was, in the broad sense, a Zionist. He did believe in the restoration of the Jewish commonwealth. And uh, to that, I would say that that's a virtue of his ministry, even if his motives were wrong, and that, in a sense, his version of Zionism is part of a corruption of that movement, which has existed in every generation, that, that, that found its way into some of the most secular of, of Jewish Zionists. This idea that worshiping, in a sense, the state of Israel as a messiah, that you didn't have to do anything else, that just uh, by supporting Israel's sovereignty, you would be absolved of sin. That, that's heresy. That probably goes to him. You know, Zionism is only a part of Judaism. It's a, as we talked about, there were 613 precepts of the Torah about a third of them deal with Zionism, living in Israel. The other two-thirds deal with moral and ethical behavior, with other people, sexual behavior, family behavior, business behavior, behavior, proper behavior between nations. Some of it applies just to the Jews. Some of it applies to all of mankind. And that, uh, you know, in a sense, his version of Zionism, just like his version of Judaism, has taken the high ground in not only the Jewish people, but in collusion with non-Jewish movements that also have taken the high ground in their faith, such as, you know, the Illuminati and, and Satanism and Rosicrucianism has done in uh, in Christianity. And one might even say radical Islam has uh, taken the high ground in Islam, which is not necessarily the only version of Islam. Uh, and that all of these find common cause. They all are subversive of the word of God as it was delivered at Sinai. And then I view my job as trying to expose that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I wouldn't put it so black and white. I mean, if you take kind of like your Litvak uh, attitude, I was reading up about like Rev Shak and the Kazanish and uh, the Brisker Rav that were radical anti-Zionists. They, you know, they opposed, uh, you know, even like, you know, Notori Karta who, who just look at, uh, you know, like we discussed last week, that say Zionism, you know, God forbid, was the cause of the Holocaust, and even to that level where in Israel, some of the sages they don't even blame the Nazis or the German uh, for the Holocaust; they blame Zionism. And uh, Reb Shach in his debates with the Lubavitch Rebbe, and even the cure of Jewish outreach, where some of the more hardcore sages were basically against Jewish outreach, were saying you have this small circle of people who obey the Jewish law. That's where guys' eye is upon, and the rest of the people are, are just kind of lost and, God forbid, destined to hell. And uh, you know, the Lubavitch Rebbe in this generation, uh, last generation, is seen as someone say like, "No, everyone's fulfilling this greater unit and purpose. You don't know who's going to enter heaven. You don't know in the greater scheme of things 
of how God is scoring things. Like the Mishnah says, Rabbi uh, Mayor, so you don't know the reward and punishment of uh, mitzvahs. You know, you got to be careful with everything. So the God-fearing people who just try to do everything, but generally, you know, like the Pharisees are secluded and therefore can't take part in larger society. And I, I'd been involved in fundraising for, you know, even ultra-Orthodox Hasidic rabbis, even anti-Zionist uh, you know, Jews in Jerusalem that refuse to uh, recognize the state of Israel and therefore they're constantly begging money in America. And like the irony of that is these like parlor meetings and tea parties or whatever they make to raise money. And you can look at Shabbatai Tzvi, there's the revisionist aspect that's debated among people where we don't know, was Shabbatai Tzvi righteous? Did he sin or not? That's unclear. There's a lot of people who hold Shabbatai Tzvi personally until his conversion to Islam was basically righteous. He prayed three times a day. He didn't partake in any immorality. Um, his main thing was uh, creating Big Tent Judaism and telling the sinners they could sit with him, kind of like a Jesus way, but also like the Baal Shem Tov, where he was willing to sit with the prostitutes and uh, the sinners and say, you have a part in Israel also. And whether he actually partook in that is... Uh, yeah, but wait, 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 wait. But Jesus said, you know... He who has such sin shall cast the first stone. And then what's edited out of that comment is that he then tells the prostitute, and go forth and sin no more. The difference is that the Shabtai Zvi was condoning the sin. You know, uh, you know, everyone knows that we're I would all say sin. that's inaccurate. I'm saying that's kind of a, you know, just not, not inaccurate. I and mean, if you look like Kabbalistically, you go back, let's say, Ruch of, you know, Joshua and the Bible, in the the spies who use the service of the prostitute uh, Rachav, who eventually converts to Judaism, and because of you know God forbid the you know horrible sexual immorality that this woman had committed, she's actually capable of allowing the Jews to take over Jericho. Yeah, but they weren't condoning her her sexual you know her her prostitution. I mean, look the but but at the end to, of the day, you know, is Rachav that doesn't sitting, mean that everyone does, in heaven? What was she an do integral to uh, to the allowance of the Jews taking over Jericho, and that's the saying, Rabbi, I mean, saying uh, Shabbatai Tzvi had used the sinners and say, okay, you're a prostitute, but, uh, you know, she had, you know, God forbid, had relations with uh, leaders in these communities and wealthy people, and if she could get that, you know, maybe you could convince this person to use, uh, you know, their, yeah, money, their services, as opposed to just saying, like, I don't want you in our congregation. No, 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 there's you're a difference a between... You don't belong. There is nothing you could do to no, benefit no one says that. Israel. Well, first well, of all, I, I, no, that, no. that was the traditional path yeah, of the yeah, state. The point is, no. first of all, I disagree that no one is saying you can't come into our community because you're sinning. They say that you can't come in our community if you condone sinning. Everybody sins. You know, the difference is that if someone... We discussed this last week with uh, Yechilma Paris and uh, Nicholas Donan, who was excommunicated. Nicholas Donan had Christian leanings and Yechilma Paris excommunicates him, said, you can't ask these questions in our whoa, congregation. Whoa, 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 whoa. He and then he comes Christian back. He, he, he went to the Pope and he, he told him to burn Talmuds. I mean, that he was, was after Yechilma Paris kicked him out. You're saying that you have, I, I think you have to appreciate the hardcore nature of how you know, dark and uh, extreme Judaism was among the protectors of Torah, that, uh, you know, Nicholas Donan was just a regular yeshiva guy that was asking questions that they didn't want to be asked, and he gets well, communicated. If, if, if they kicked him out for just asking questions, then I think that's terribly wrong. 
but I, I don't know exactly what we don't. I don't know how much we know about him. But I mean, my understanding is that he openly and and consciously advocated for another religion. It's one thing. But he'd been be, forced out. That was the point I was making. All right. Well, that, look. That we can, generally, we can the Jews at, looked at it. Uh, like you, so to say, okay, like you don't even have a beard. You're not wearing a yarmulke. You would not have been allowed to participate in our synagogues. You would have been forced out and saying, you've lost your portion with Israel. I don't care. Join the Christians. Well, join look, the and they would be. And, and Shabbatai had open arms and said, no, Mr. Moskowitz, you still can have a part in Judaism. And uh, you yeah, know, so we're that's not talking the, about the cure that he injects. Well, first of all, I mean, they would be wrong to kick someone out if they didn't have the right kind of beard. But that's not what, what the Shabtai V was talking about. He was talking about literally subverting the moral and ethical precepts of the Torah, which we all, to varying degrees, do because we're failed human beings. We're not gods, but we don't condone it. That's the difference. And look, well, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm putting this straight on you and saying I'm a, recognizing is true what you're saying. But at the same time, the only reason you or me have a portion in Israel is because of this poison that Shabbatai Tzvi in, no, injected. Exactly. Because basically before he was saying, Mr. Moskowitz, you know that you don't obey Shulchanor perfectly. perfectly. No, Why don't it. you just give it all up? Why don't you forget this charade? No, no. You have no part in Israel. Just convert to, you know, just become a goy like you are. You're not even have a beard. You're not even wearing a yarmulke. You're yeah, not, a, you just that. give it all up. That, and Shabbatai Tzvi, and the fact that you're included is from the poison that Shabbatites be injected. Not at all. And I reject that th that characterization and that, you know, somebody, there might have been a few hothead rabbis who rejected people if they didn't like them. I, gr I grant you that. You have that in any religion. But Judaism did not reject people if they didn't fulfill the entire Torah. They rejected them if they actively and brazenly contradicted the Torah and said, you don't have to do this. We can make ham kosher. You know, look, a lot of people might have hand wait a minute. Are you supplementing people, on post Shabbatite fee? Like are you have you read Maimonides? Have you read the Shulchan Oracle? Would, in those would Maimonides have you know, God forbid, had you executed? And you're saying no, you think Maimonides would have uh, had a soft heart and be like, Oh, no, I'm not Moskowitz, saying that. you're a good I'm not, man. I'm saying it's only it's, after Shabbatite fee okay. comes that a guy like me or you could be included in Greater Israel. Not at all. First of all, there's a difference between having non-kosher food, for example, in the privacy of your own home. I mean, even the most Orthodox Jews understand that. There's another thing to bring the ham sandwich onto the beamer and declare it kosher. That's the difference. Now, look, that's what Shabtai Zvi did, according to Rabbi Antelman and other sources. And that's what the ultra-left Jews do now. They're saying, we don't have to look at the Torah. We can make it up. We can decide Let me put it back to what the argument we had last week in Maimonides. When you meet a Christian and you refuse to tell him that is a false idol, you are committing idolatry. I don't care if you execute me. I don't care if you torture okay. me to death. I am a Jew. I'm not scared to tell you to your face that that is a false idol. And if you look well, at the sages of, all, of Maimonides in those days, and like when they came back in Sfat and they said, we had been Christianized and they returned to Judaism, and then Shabbatai Tzvi is saying, okay, like, we're weak. You know, we, we were scared to tell the church that, uh, you know, that that uh, we were scared to tell the idolaters and because we feared for our life. And, uh, you know, you, do, you don't have to be a martyr for Judaism. And uh, we could be included in a larger picture. And I think, you know, you're not appreciating that uh, that largely comes with this big tent Judaism that includes me and you 
is because of Shabbatai Tzvi. Had it not no, been for Shabbatai Tzvi, me and you would not be included in Torah Judaism. That's not true. First of all, Judaism did not consider Christianity to be idol worship. I already talked about this. The uh, Rashi was asked this question. He analyzed it over many, many years. I think that it was even toward the end of his life that he came to the understanding, which has been conventional in Judaism. And that is that Christianity is not pagan. They don't worship idols. They may have statues. They may have the guy on the cross. Those things are just representatives. They're not worshiping those things. That's just not really the way Jews look at this. And, and idol worship was more than just the worshiping of a graven image, of, as if that graven image itself was God. It had to do with all of the corrupt practices that were around the idol, such as the killing of babies by throwing them into the belly of the Moloch live so they could be burned to death. You know, th these were, and orgies and all the rest. Those, you know, no one in Judaism has said that Christianity is that. We recognize, and this is in any source you could look at, that Christianity, you know, worships God and that we may grudgingly reject the idea of Jesus as the Messiah, of course, and and kind of say, okay, well, fine. But we still recognize that that they're not idol worshipers. And I think to, to say that is really, it feeds into anti-Semitic views. I mean, that's not really, it's just not true. We don't consider it idol worship. But let me get to, and also, we, we you know, it, it's really an active desecration. Not, not that we, we fall short. You know, you could look at Rashi again. I could refer to him. He's a very well-respected rabbi in the Middle Ages. That we all fall short of observing the entire Torah. We all have our, in, you know, we're not God. I mean, only God is perfect. But we don't publicly denounce the Torah and say, we've decided that this isn't really what it means, or we're going to make something up. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what Shabtai's being introduced. But I want to talk a little bit about Zionism. So right, said that's also disputed. Whether Shabbatai Tzvi was just lenient and allowed sinners to hang around him or whether he actually encouraged that is heavily okay. disputed. And even among respected sages, there's many people who hold Shabbatai Tzvi you know, remained righteous and he just wasn't capable of getting people to abandon their sin. And, and if you mention just a, you put a larger picture. Encouraged then. Well, that's, look, that's, that's very we're, unclear. When you say yeah, Shabbatai Tzvi... You, you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on this. My sources and my understanding of his history is that that was what his ministry was about. He encouraged an overthrow of the Torah so as to bring about a Messiah by denouncing and bringing, bringing everybody down to one level so we could have a, a big tent so that everybody can sin together. But can I we want put to a bigger picture, you know, just in the greater... Kabbalah, obviously the Zohar's you know famous statement, a niftak menu, which basically nobody gets left behind. So you know if you have more conservative leanings, and you're like, well, you know, and where Shabbatai Tzvi is basically everyone's included, no matter how bad you sin, you have a part in this future world. You could right. be useful. And if you look at the Haredi rabbis that control Israel, and you're saying, okay, the modern Orthodox, your conversions are not valid. You know, like you don't shave your you shave your beard. Um, you're not a real Jew, and when you say that's that's ridiculous, but look at the rabbis in Israel, and you say, ah, you're going to be included because you make the cut. 
and the you know saying, well, what makes you so sure you're going to make the cut? And then you're going to go to Shabbatai Tzvi extremes. I'm telling you, everyone's going to make the cut, no matter how bad their sins are. Yeah, everyone is going to make the cut, as long as they don't publicly parade their sins as being good. As long as they don't say evil is good and good is evil. But as I would probably agree with you, by the way, about um, the rabbinate in Israel. I don't think there should be a rabbinate in Israel. I think that was a mistake to even implement such an institution. It's corrupted. But putting that aside, I want to talk about Zionism. Um I would argue that Zion, you know, you said last time that the the secular Zionists, people like Theodore Herzl and and uh, Ben Gurion, that these people were stone cold atheists, that they didn't have any understanding of the spiritual side of Zionism. I don't agree with that. I mean, they weren't observant Jews, of course, and they didn't like observant Judaism. That's true. I also disagree that the you know, that, that the, the, even the notary Carter, now you know something more about this than I do because you've had dealings with these people. Um, I don't think that they're anti-Zionist. I think they're anti-Zionist movement because they think it's secular and therefore it's heretical. And to that, I think that they're partially right, but not really, because it, it, even if it is secular, it's still bringing about Zion. And as such, you know, even just living in Israel, even if you're not observant, you're still fulfilling. A, this is a point that Rabbi Antelman makes as well. You're still fulfilling about a third of the Torah just by being there. But putting that aside, I mean, they're, they're, they're against Zionism as a political movement. I disagree with them, but I understand it and I respect their opinion. Uh, I would argue that Zionism is a very complex thing. It is not just a political movement. It, yes, it was part of the late 19th century rise of nationalism. You made that point, and that's true. Uh, you know, the, the young Turk movement, the young Greek movement, all these, you know, the, the unification of Germany and Italy in the 1870s, these are all nationalist movements. Zionism was part of that. It did was influenced by it. But I would also stress that Zionism always has had a spiritual component to it. It is more than just a national movement. It is more than just sovereignty for the Jewish people in their homeland, as great as that is. There's also a spiritual component. There is this idea in Judaism that by reasserting the sovereignty in the land that God told us to do so, reasserting Jerusalem as the capital, we are setting the stage for the coming of the Moshiach. It is that, even among the most secular Israelis, there is the sense that there is something bigger than just creating a sovereign state. It is a part of the movement, whether to the varying degrees that people might embrace that. It is, inter it is an integral to Zionism, and it's integral to Judaism. I, mean, I, I think I, I would say almost the opposite, and that's why I say that you should, you should thank Shabbatai Tzvi because he's giving you your portion in Judaism Never. that you wouldn't have otherwise. And that, that's why I said, like, Notori Karta, the Haredi rabbis would say, I'm sorry, Mr. Moskowitz, until you repent completely and completely observe the halacha and Shulchan Aruch, there is absolutely nothing you could do to benefit Israel. Your help is no help. I do not want your help. You're basically a goy. Just admit it and give up. And you know this concept that yeah, you that's could, not normal that, Judaism. Well, it is. That's essential. That's, you know, that's the Hasidic movement. Sumeravi asetov Psalm thirty four. Avoid bad and do good. And the Hasidic movement said, 
flip it the opposite, do good and then avoid bad. And the you know the historical way was no, you have to avoid bad. You have to free yourself from sin before you could benefit the Jewish people. And now you have the attitude where well you could benefit the Jewish people even though we're we're sinners. And that's like modern Israel, like the army, the IDF, and saying like these people that are not Torah observant, these people that do not fully recognize the sages and the vision, there is absolutely nothing they could do to benefit the Jewish people. Even if they're defending Israel, they're serving the army, they're you know doing well, economics, right. they're getting people to love Israel, their help is no help. Until they repent, there is absolutely nothing they could do to benefit the state of Israel. Yeah, and, and then when you enter these calculations, well, like, well, they have some good to them, they did a lot of good, um, that those are, in essence, Sabatian calculations. Look, I mean, I think that, as again, and I said it before, I understand where they're coming from, but I think they're wrong. They're not going to sit in judgment as to who is a good Jew in terms of whether or not you shave a beard. <clears throat> That's, well, I'm using you know, that as an example because there's um, you know, <clears throat> interpretations of the Shulchan Aruch that it's completely forbidden to shave, that you have absolutely no excuse uh, to shave. If you're in Jerusalem, I was in Jerusalem, there's signs all up over the place you know, saying how it's forbidden to shave. And, uh, you know, just different examples where you might think those guys are extremists, you know, that you can't even shave your beard. Uh, but in Jerusalem, you're saying that's Judaism 101. You know, well, you've that's already... right. Look, th those guys, again, I mean, they are, I respect the fact that they're trying to... It's not those guys. That's simple halakha. That's uh, Shulchan Aruch. You need Fine. an I exception mean, to shave. You have an exception to shave because yeah, you have a calculation. Has... Earning a livelihood um, is more important then uh, you, but I mean that that's just a whatever the example is that that you need to get ahead in the material world and even like the whole Israel the purpose of Israel is to keep Jews safe and uh, you know to say to take a halakhic attitude I don't need to be safe I would rather die serving God than be safe as a sinner. Well, it's more than just being safe. It's this idea of creating a um, a, a holy people. And as far you know, look as far as it's very specific questions like whether or not you can shave and whatnot. My understanding, and I'm not a Talmudic expert here, is that the Talmud and that rabbis have found means by which someone can function in a way that they don't denounce that idea, but yet they don't necessarily have to do that thing. You know, it's sort of like what uh, Hillel talked about with the prose bowl. You know, there are means. Hillel issued a prose bull because the city of Jerusalem was laid siege by the Romans while it was under the control of Antigonus, the, the, um, the Persian-backed uh, Hasmonean king, and people starved to death, and they ended up having a huge disaster. So he developed this idea of the prose bull, which was that um, you know there was a way to observe the seven-year uh, leaving the field fallow without violating it. And again, I'm not a technician here, so I don't know exactly how that was done. But that is one of the functions of the Talmud. You know, this idea that um, we can continue to maintain and not, you know, in any way denounce intricacies of Jewish law. And at the same time, we can function in the modern world. And uh, We're supposed to live by the law, not die by the law. You know, Moses says, choose life. Right. Okay. The point is that we, you know, these are complicated questions that 
Torah true, legitimate rabbis grapple with. And I don't think that there's any one, look, we all have disagreements within the, within the fabric, always have. And these guys in Jerusalem who want to be super observant and say that other people aren't really Jewish, I don't agree with them. And I don't think they're Torah accurate either. But I respect the fact that they're trying to be observant. And, um, you know, the, I'm willing to, to leave it at that. But what the but again, I think the difference here maybe uh, not necessarily between you and I, but between maybe me and some of people who are anti-Israel is that Israel has a bigger mission than simply being a sovereign state for the Jewish people, which in itself is a legitimate mission and proper. Uh, it is it has a spiritual component to it. It's one that exists in every generation. It's one that every Jew acknowledges every single day when they pray. It is one that is integral to Judaism going back to Abraham. And uh, I think it's something that is worth supporting, not just for Jews either, but for Christians and Muslims as well. Yeah, but, that, that you, but at the same time, I'm saying you're Sabadian when you say that, because you look in Halakha, and basically if a person falls outside of a certain range, if it's like keeping Sabbath or whatever that minimum requirements to be included within the Jewish people. And if you don't meet those minimum requirements, uh, generally Halakha will say there's nothing good you could do for the greater cause. And Israel is making that Sabadian no, conclusion I, I, where it's saying, you know, like if a person is uh, not Sabbath observant, um, they're basically outside of the fold. There's nothing good they could do for the cause. And when you say that even though a person's not Sabbath observant, that they could still benefit the greater cause, that's intrinsically a Sabadian calculation. No, no. The, again, we, 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 I don't want to get into a merry-go-round here, but um, the difference is that one can not observe the Sabbath, in a, and, and, and to do so is against uh, Jewish law, and it's, it's sort of— Punishable by death. Uh, yeah, all right. But the the difference is that that doesn't mean that they step up and announce that they're not observing Sabbath and declare that their Sabbath doesn't mean anything. That's what, according to my sources, Shatezvi did, and that's what the secular movement is doing. We decide what's the what's law, not God. We've decided what's happening at Sinai. We can throw this out. We can change that. We're not going to take a look at the original intent, even though we may not perfectly observe it. We recognize it. We recognize that as a milestone and as a guide and as a benchmark for how we would like to live our life, even if we don't do it and even if we fall short. Like if I don't observe a perfect Shabbos, if I you know, turn on a light or something or who knows what, I'm not going to stand up and do a, a podcast saying, hey, we don't have to do this anymore. It's not necessary. I'm going to do it quietly and I'm going to suffer the spiritual consequences of it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm, I'm not going to condone it, and I'm not going to pretend that I have I can be like God and decide what's true and what isn't. That's what Shabtezvi did. That's what communism does. It decides what is true, what is reality, what I is you're morality. You're failing to miss my point. You're saying Messiah comes, Messiah is going to condemn both of us to death because you know the per that's why I brought it back to Shabtezvi as a. Uh, the smika and the you know tzfat and the recreation of smika, and why can't uh, the rabbis administer the death penalty for people who don't observe Sabbath anymore? It's because smika doesn't exist. You don't have a court system. But what makes you think that Messiah is going to come 
and something good's going to happen to us, chances are if Messiah comes, Messiah is justly going to administer the death penalty to me, to me because I'm failing to live up to the law, and according to the law, I deserve death. And that's why you say Shabbatai Tzvi is going to come. No, Mr. Moskowitz, Duvid, these are basically good people. They've done a lot more good than bad, and uh, you know they're going to take part in it. And what, you know, what makes you so confident that when Messiah comes, Messiah is not going to have us put to death? Well, first of all, I am hardly going to be even remotely claiming to be in a position to know what the Messiah is going to do. That's going to happen. That's up to the Messiah. That's a mystery. I don't know if he's going to put me to death or not. I will be judged accordingly. I mean, I can't control that. All I can control is how I live my life on this earth in this brief uh, time drop that I have left. And that in and having said that, I hope that I my, my good outweighs my bad. I don't know ultimately what's going to happen on Judgment Day, and I don't think any Jew knows. I mean, any person knows. Well, that's, what I that's do our know, results, Kabbalah, that it's based on your good outweighing your bad. I mean, saying from the traditional view, it's you have all these rules. If we violated the rules and we've done something that's deserving of the death penalty, uh, we're going to get our due just, uh, even though we I might have done that. all these good things. It's that results, Kabbalah, through Shabbatai speed that says, wait, there's no, this I mean, great calculation that the man has done a lot of good. And even though we've done sins deserving of death, the fact that we've done so many good things will free us from our deserved punishment. No, I, I look, I accept the former premise that you just mentioned. When my, at Judgment Day, I will be judged based on the good and the bad that I've done in my life. And there's a lot of, a lot both on both sides, I hope. And uh, that that I will be put to death if, if the bad outweighs the good. That's up to the Lord. So I think opposite. That's, that's the Arizal's Kabbalah. That's Sabadianism. According no, to Sabadianism the tells view, me. it doesn't matter. You could have done a lot, a lot of good. You could have done 99.99% good. Uh, but we did certain sins that require us to be put to yep, death and cast into only, hell. That's only that, God knows, not, not man. I mean, that's, uh, that's Judgment Day stuff. And the Sabadians are saying... You don't have to worry about doing bad because everything is good because everybody's equal and we're all included. Well, have you and studied that, Tanya? I mean, the, the first page of Tanya mentions that who's the Bainani? Is the average person someone that's free from sin who just hasn't done any sin? Or is the average person someone that uh, has more good than bad? So if you judge things like Shabbatai Tzvi, who's like, yeah, even your worst sinners are generally way more good than bad versus looking at a halakhicist approach, does does the person have any bad at all? And if they have any bad at all, they're going to be judged negatively and cast into hell. That's again up to God to decide, not me. That's so. What approach my, do you take in your that's, life? That's above my pay scale. <laughs> you take. That's what I'm saying. Do you take the Shabbatian, the 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 you know, the Kabbalistic approach and be like, well, most people are generally good, and he's generally a good no, person, so I'm going to include him. Or you take the hardcore thing where you're just going to nitpick, and if you could find one bad thing, they're out. I'm not going to nitpick. God will decide the nitpicking. I'm going to say that the Torah is true and that I am going to, as a sinner, try to measure my life accordingly and try to seek um, atonement for my sins. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. That's what I try to do in my own small way with this show. I mean, I'm not going to equate the two. I'm not going to blur the lines. I'm not going to say it's good to sin because we're all sinners, therefore in order you, you can be accepted for that. No, I don't want to be accepted for my sins. I mean, I'm responsible for them and I'll suffer the consequences of it. And so will we all. What those consequences are, 
is up to the Lord our God. As far as the death penalty goes in Judaism, it is very rarely declared because the Talmud has a very elaborate system by which there has to be a lot of proof, there has to be a lot of evidence, there has to be a trial, and, and it is as such that, that it's very rare that, that someone is put to death for, for these sins. But the death penalties stand because they really show how serious God viewed these sins. And you don't get the death penalty for, for having the wrong kind of beard. There's nothing in the Torah that says that. Yeah, but for not observing Sabbath, we do. And I, I was just making the Is the that point. a death penalty if you don't observe Sabbath? Well, not for not I don't ab- think so. not for not ab- for breaking it in certain ways, like I mean, lighting a fire or certain things. I mean, I don't a- think that's a death penalty. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not a rabbinic expert here, but I, mean, I don't we look think- up Moses. But I mean, we can Moses- look it up. I don't think that's death penalty. Death penalty is more serious stuff, and I think it's very specific in the Book of Leviticus. Um, but I just you know- wanted to give a little credit to the Shabbatian movement that, in my in my opinion. Is basically Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Zohar Kabbalah that had been kept secret and among the sages who, uh, you know, historically, yeah, Maimonides and the great sages who judged simple people favorably. It's because they knew the Kabbalah, uh, but this you know wide concept of big tent Judaism and including sinners in the greater Israel is uh, you know, was basically has horrible that. negative effects that you mentioned, yeah, uh, but at the same time, um, you have to credit Shabbat, uh, the Shabbatian movement for spreading that into Europe and creating yeah. Big Ten Judaism I and Zionism, and even I mean, Freud and all this other stuff. That I've seen those charts from Antelman's book, and you can say, yeah, basically all of this stuff is a method of creating these calculations to say, even though you know, we're sinners and we do horrible thing that we're still generally on the side of good and are going to be included in the redemption when redemption occurs. That, again, is way beyond above any human being's pay scale. That's something that, you know, we can only know in our own hearts who we are and, and the levels of various sins, and we could ask, beg for forgiveness, particularly on Yom HaKippur. And I reject this idea that, I mean, I think, again, that we, we're going on the merry-go-round here, but the difference is, that the Jewish community recognizes that we're all sinners and that we all fall short, but we don't condone sin. We don't declare sin as good. That's satanic. We're not saying good is evil and evil is good. Anyway, but David, we're kind of reaching toward the end of the program. Um, what uh, can you talk a little bit about about your uh, your work and your website? You know, do you want to direct people in any direction? Um, well, I'm just a streamer. You know, I said I, I'd made a web page. In kind of in a YouTube page, largely in a Sabadian calculation, like uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm still single. I don't have any children, and I'd like to be teaching my children Torah, and uh, you know, so I don't have children to teach Torah. So I created a web web page, uh, YouTube, to you know, teach basics, Hebrew prayer, and uh, you know, big tent. You know, anybody could say Kaddish. Anybody could uh, do a little uh, good deeds, and that's generally my approach. Is just focus on the good, and uh, so my YouTube you page has you know lots of uh, educational material and just kind of pro uh, Jewish material where anyone who wants to uh, participate on whatever level uh, they feel comfortable, and uh, I enjoy these conversations. I, I love Judaism. I love Torah, even though you know I'm a sinner and and you know it's questionable 
without Sabbatianism what, what my portion in Israel uh, would be. But I love Torah. I love talking about Judaism. I love studying it. I love teaching people. And, uh, you know, as long as I have breath, I'm going to continue to do that. All right, David, listen, I really appreciate you joining me this afternoon. Thank you. All right, take care and um, talk to you soon.